Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, Daniel, could you make your way up here? I'm going to have Daniel share something that he shared with me just this morning, an amazing poem. But right before he does that, let me just tell you what we're doing today, because it's slightly different. Um, so did, did you read the email that I sent you? Oh, you did. Thank you. I know that I might be a little bit verbose, but thank you for putting up with me and my verbosity and loquacity, if you know that word. In any case... Um, I, I send you all an email and a text every week with information to, that's important. And so you know we're doing something a little differently today. Here's the plan. I'm going to try to land what I'm going to be teaching by 10.55. That's my goal. Um, if I can see the clock. Oh, they covered it. I'll have to stand over here. And then we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to have, we're just calling it a family meeting because we're going to talk about some things that are directly um, specific to our family, especially about financial challenges we're facing. And Matt Evans is um, newly our treasurer on our church board. He's awesome. And he said, you know, I think the church needs to know the details of where we are. And I said, I totally agree. So he wanted to present that to you, um, and that will be helpful for you. And then after that, we are going to do something for several weeks. Oh, sorry, let me back up. We'll take a little break before he comes up, because it's possible that you're visiting here. I don't know if anyone is, but if you are, you might think, well, this isn't my church. I don't want to know those details, and you're welcome, you know, that time to stay or go. Anyone's welcome, but we just wanted to make a place for people that might think I'm not interested in that. And also, the Facebook live stream at that time will be over, because we'll really be done with our church service. So if you're part of Grace Vineyard, and you're watching me on Facebook live right now, they're going to put in the comments for you where our Zoom stream is. And that's the one where it's really for interaction and for being a congregation online. So if you're with Facebook Live and you want to stay with the family meeting part, which will be right around 11 for about 15 minutes, you'll want to switch over to the meeting ID that you see, hopefully, in the comments on Facebook Live. Then after that, we have felt like we're called to a season of about four weeks, we think, of prayer and fasting. And if you, got the, if you got the email, maybe you saw that and you think, I want to come. But we're going to, right after Matt's presentation, we're going to do an hour prayer meeting for the congregation. And the fasting part is just fasting lunch. Fasting and prayer go hand, to hand, hand in hand in the Bible often. For some reason, I don't completely understand it, but God seems to like this pattern of disciplining our bodies and cultivating a hunger for the things of God. And we cultivate that often when we deny ourselves something that is good to have. Lunch is good to have, but we're going to deny ourselves lunch if you want to, if you can. You don't have to. Just an invitation. And we're going to pray together. And we're praying in such a way as to seek the Lord for his provision, for his favor, for his guidance, for our next season as a church. We think he's got great things in store, but nothing really happens without, nothing happens without the hand of God. So we do well to call on him to pray, to seek him, and to listen. And so that's going to be right after church, after that thing. Um, We'll do it next week again. And I can't remember how the calendar goes, but Mother's Day is coming up soon, and I thought, let's not fast on Mother's Day. That doesn't sound fun, right? So Mother's Day, we'll take a break from prayer and fasting, then come back the next week. That's the plan. Did it all make sense? Okay, so this is Daniel, my good brother friend, 
And this, he, he is a deep well. I hope you get to know him. I'm, I've known him for just a few weeks now, really. Month? Six weeks? How long has it been? Not five months, really. This is my friend Daniel that I've known for five months. I have no sense of time. <laughs> no wonder I know you so well. I'm thinking I know you pretty deeply. See, we spent a lot of time together. Anyway, among many of his gifts, God gives him poetry. And he, and he pours out his heart from the Lord and to the Lord. And this morning, he just shared something deeply that came to him this week, I think. And I said, would you share that to the church? I think it'd be encouraging. So, you ready? It's called How You Found Me. How you found me broken beyond repair, more hurt than I can bear. I'm telling you, I really don't want to be here. You said, let me try, I can fix you. Just come right here. Take my hand, my love for you reaches beyond this land. But Jesus, I'm, I'm a broken man. I've kept it all in way too long. I'm so lost, and I'm so gone. I can't, <clears throat> I can't be found. Yeah, you are lost, but I'm right here. Stop running from me, I can help you. Just come here. But Jesus, my depression won't let me go. It's stuck with me, it just won't let me go. My mind goes insane, these battles remain. Jesus, why am I broken beyond repair? I try to give you <clears throat> my words to survive, so broken I just don't feel alive. I can't get out of my mind, I am stuck here. Look son, trust me when I say, I am the Lord, I am the way. Hmm. None of your sins will push me away. You're just one of my 99 that went astray. I'm bringing you back because you're here to stay. You're mine and I'm yours. I love you, son. What do you say? It's not your fault. I built you this way. I have work for you to do. You're going to help people with the same issues as you. But Jesus, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. Give it all to me. I want to help you. I want you to see you like I do. I love you, son. I never left you. There's freedom from this pain. Give it, to, give it all to me, for your life will never be the same. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Isn't that amazing? If, if I am any good at predicting, one of these days we'll be worshiping, and Paul will lay down a groove on the bass with Rick and... Daniel will walk up here, and he'll be rapping. Because <laughs> you know that he raps, too. You can tell. You can feel that, right? <laughs> Would you not like that? Yeah. So, Father, we're going to open your word right now, and we pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and that we grow, that we're trained by you, we're training your ways. We love you. We love your purposes for us. We love your plan for us. Pour out your spirit on us even now. In Jesus' name, amen. I just realized that. I, no, we did. I was going to say, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't give the five-minute break, but we did. And I was going to say, sorry, you lose. But <laughs> I was wrong. You won anyway. Um, I heard someone tell um, a group of people that I was in something. This is secondhand. So this is something that a man spoke, keynote speaker, at a conference, I think, two weeks ago really recently, doesn't really matter, but I'm just setting up the context, a, con a conference for people that are church leaders who want to multiply ministry, not 
add ministry, but they want to multiply in this sense. The thinking of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. When we do that, the church of Jesus Christ and the effect of the gospel in taking care of hurting people and healing the wounded and binding up the brokenhearted and feeding the hungry and housing the homeless and setting addicts free, all that work multiplies as disciples make disciples who make disciples. You got that? So, the man, the keynote speaker at this conference that I think was called Exponential, he got up and he said, welcome to 2035. And they looked stunned and then what's going on. And he explained that the trends that we've seen first in Europe and then in America in the Church of Jesus Christ, that where we looked like we were going, it might be if things didn't change by 2035, were accelerated by the pandemic so that we're already there. So the statistics around the church world are not great. At least they look like they're not great from human eyes. Right now in America, I'm told that for every pastor that's entering ministry, three pastors are leaving ministry. So that's, that doesn't portend great for the future of the church, right, if that's what's happening. A statistic I read this week, which was based on a survey of churches that respond, you know, to questionnaires, of the churches that responded to this particular questionnaire, this was interesting statistic. Since the lockdown ended and churches started meeting again, the churches that responded to this survey are experiencing attendance anywhere from 36 to 60% of what they were before the pandemic. That means if your church had 100 people attending, which was that's kind of a typical size around America, a little less than 100, you see the big mega churches, those are not the average church in America. We are mostly communities of believers that know each other and worship together. Nothing wrong with huge church. I love huge church. I love small church. I just love the church of Jesus. But anyway, if you had 100 people before attending, you might have 36 people attending now. If you, or maybe up to 60. So that's the trends in America. Many churches have just closed. Um, many Christians have, they stopped coming together to worship and to pray together and to um, learn from each other together. You know, they stopped coming because of the lockdowns and the pandemic started, and they never came back. They got quite comfortable with whatever was going on. I don't quite understand that. No one really knows what's going on. Maybe, maybe they were people who were more of an audience anyway, and they just decided to confirm it. Maybe not. I don't, no one really knows. But the result is the church, its leaders, and um, people that are Christians who are part of congregations and wanting to do the work of the Lord through the church are a bit disoriented. They're fearful. They're confused. They say, uh, what's next? Where do, what, what's the future look like? I don't know what the future looks like. Where are we going? How is this going to work? Are we going to survive? That kind of mindset. There was a mindset like that in this week that we celebrate in the first century, right after Easter weekend. So I know last week I called my message Living in the Light of the Resurrection. I'm calling this one Living in the Light of Easter, which I guess wasn't very creative, but <laughs> there you go. What I want to read is some scripture that some of the disciples were experiencing right after Easter weekend, right after the crucifixion, and the resurrection. 
So at the cross of the crucifixion of Jesus, it is absolutely clear that Jesus dealt with sin, its presence, its power, its penalties dealt with. That anyone who put their faith in Jesus who died on the cross indeed is completely cleansed and set free from their sin. That's a fact It happened. And it's a fact that on the cross, he destroyed the power of Satan. That's language from the Bible. The Greek word kartargeo that comes out destroyed in English means rendered ineffective. It's a fact that everyone who looks to Jesus on the cross is filled with the Spirit of God, is born again. Their, their sins are destroyed and the power of Satan is rendered ineffective in their life because though he attacks, we have by the Spirit of God power and authority in the name of Jesus over all the works of the evil one. This is all true and this was true for the disciples. They experienced the cross, they experienced the resurrection. It was a little confusing because actually not all of them had seen Jesus. Um, they got reports from some women. In this culture, unfortunately, women were degraded and their testimony didn't count for much. You know, all oh, those women was the attitude. Thankfully, that attitude is gone. Now we realize, oh, those men, they're not as smart as the women many times. In any case, some women came and saying, hey, we saw the risen Christ. He's alive. They didn't believe it. Some of the people saw him. He came and visited them last Sunday night. This is this Sunday. And, but he was there for just a little bit. It's confusing. So here's the disciples. There's only 11 of them left. One has committed suicide. Things are disorienting. They're confusing. Uh, we don't know what the future is. They're fearful. One of the disciples was Thomas. And we're going to read briefly some of his story. But just think for a moment before we read his story. So Thomas is one of the 12 that Jesus called to follow him. He's had the most incredible few years of his life. He's been with Jesus and with the other disciples who are now called apostles. They have seen people that were blind have their eyes opened. They've seen deaf people here. They've seen a paralyzed guy get up off his mat and walk right in front of them. They've seen dead people come back. Most recently, just a few weeks ago, a guy named Lazarus had, been, had died, had been wrapped in grave cloths in the custom of the Israelites, had been put in a tomb, and four days later, Jesus called him out of the tomb. The crowds are growing. Jesus himself is saying, I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and they're thinking, the time is now. Jesus is about to be made king. The, um, he'll, he'll mount an army. We'll overthrow the Rome. There's going to be a new government, and one of us is going to be the prime minister. It's going to be awesome, because they thought political king. It was looking good, but all of a sudden, it turned in a moment. Suddenly, everything changed. Suddenly, one of their dear friends, the inner circle, 12 guys, sells out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, betrays him. And then after the events of the coming days, he commits suicide. Can you imagine what you'd feel like if your close, intimate friend betrayed your leader and committed suicide last week? And now we're together in the upper room. Jesus was betrayed. And he ended up being arrested. And he did nothing about it. And then the Romans executed him 
After whipping his back wide open, they took a crown of thorns and pierced his head, and they could still see in their mind's memory what happened just a week ago. He's bleeding. He's beaten almost beyond recognition. He's literally nailed to wood, and he dies in front of them. And their hopes are dashed, and they're confused. He said this would all happen, but it was all confusing to them. He said something about his blood being poured out for the forgiveness of sins, but they didn't understand it. They're disoriented, they're confused. What's the future hold? They're fearful. They're thinking if they killed him, maybe they're coming for us next. So they're in a locked room. This is Thomas's state of mind. Are you feeling this? Try to be in the moment, because he's just like you and me. John 20, 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I'm sorry, I missed a section. I'm going to back up, and you need to hear this other part. This is the week before. Now, Thomas, or right before this event, back up to verse 24. Apologize. Now, Thomas, which simply means twin Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came last week. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were. And put my hand in his side where they pierced his side. Might have been on this side by the heart. Took a spear and pierced. Unless I see that hole and put my hand in it, I'm not going to believe. I won't believe any of this. And, and as if to say, and we know that's not going to happen. I'm not going to see his hands. I'm not going to see nails. I'm not going to put my fingers in his nail prints. And I'm not going to put my hand in his side, obviously. So I'm not going to believe. Then, a week later, they're in the house again. Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. They're probably afraid that they're likely to be arrested and imprisoned, maybe even, God forbid, crucified along with Jesus. Can you imagine the fear? Jesus appears, peace be with you, and he said to Thomas, get in the moment here. Have you ever told, some, have you ever told Michelle something and you hope the snake doesn't hear it? Right? And then the snake shows up and he heard it all. Thomas hoped that Jesus didn't hear this. But Jesus says to him, Thomas, come here. Put your finger in my hand. Can you, do you feel on that? Put. <laughs> Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then he just says it, cuts to the chase, stop doubting. Thomas, and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Are you feeling the drama of this moment? Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen me and believe. And Jesus did many other signs and miraculous miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, first thing for you and me, if I or you are any bit like Thomas where our faith has wavered, we're not sure what we believe anymore because things didn't work out the way we, in our theology, thought they would work out. 
Because Thomas theology didn't allow for a crucified Messiah. It was in the scriptures, but he missed it. If you have lost faith and have withdrawn from living passionately for Jesus, remember your first love. Go back to your first worship. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Remember when Jesus first called you. He said, follow me. And you said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, and I'll give you my whole life. I'm yours. You've saved me. You're worth every breath. We sing it. You're worthy of every breath I have. If the struggles of life, and I say this to the church in America, if the events that have shaken the church of America, the church in Oceanside, Grace Vineyard, even if, if I don't know where you are, if you're shaken at all, stop doubting and believe. The calling of God has not changed a bit. The mission of God has not changed a bit. Easter weekend still happened. Sin was dealt with on the cross. It's still a fact. Satan was dealt with on the cross. It's still a fact. Jesus rose from the dead. It's still a fact. The new creation has been launched with Jesus' resurrection. It's still a fact. And just like Jesus was raised from the dead, we too can walk in newness of life. It's still a fact. Jesus still has a plan for this world, and he's doing it through his church. It's still a fact. So stop doubting and believe. Well, Peter has another story. Now, you remember Peter. He is about as confident as we get. A little bit cocky. Jesus, I got this. You can trust me. I don't know if you can trust the other guys, but you can trust me. They all may leave you, but I will never leave you. I'm willing to die for you. He thought it. He felt it. He believed it. He was convinced of it. But in the moment of crisis, he did not have what it took. And he failed bitterly. You know the story. Jesus said, Peter, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, Lord, never. I've prayed for you, though. You're going to come back. Peter denies Jesus with cursing. And now, are you feeling the shame? You've denied Jesus, and you are in shame. You know this. Things will never be the same. You're convinced of it. Certainly, as you knew that you'd never leave Jesus, you know he's got no place for you anymore. Some women said that he appeared. In fact, you saw him briefly last week, but it was so weird. And it's not like it was before because he's not around every day, and this is very confusing. And I'm fearful. I'm disillusioned. It's not the way I thought it would be. What the heck is happening? What do I do next? And Peter says, you know, I'm just going to go back to my old ways. Let's go fishing. I'm a fisherman. Afterward, John 21, 1, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter said. <laughs> and they said, we'll go with you. Let's just go back to our old jobs. So they went out and got in the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. God is hilarious with this story. Because you remember the story. This happened once before. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. I don't know if it was foggy or if he disguised himself or what. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Does this sound familiar? No, they answered. He said, 
throw your net on the right side of the boat, you'll find some. And you're thinking, I think the fish can swim under the boat. When they did it, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, who's writing this, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Can you feel the drama when he says, it's the Lord? As soon as Peter heard him, he said, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off for work, and he jumped into the water. He's going to swim to shore while they rowed ashore. Towing, um, the, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish, some bread. Jesus said to them, bring the fish you've caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard, and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn this time. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples said, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them, did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you truly love me more than these? Peter has most recently denied Jesus. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, Jonah, do you truly love me? Simon, son of Jonah, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Get back to what I called you to do. Really only one question, Jesus asked. Do you have a relationship with me? Do we have a relationship? Do you love me? Three times Peter had denied Jesus. Three times Jesus gets him back. Do you love me? I love you. Got him to say it three times and erased the denial. And if, just in case, I need to spell it out. When Peter was called the first time to follow Jesus, it was very similar to this, and Jesus did a remake. You know, Netflix does remakes, Jesus does remakes. When they were called, they had fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus is on the shore. Have you caught anything? He says, they say no. And he says, well, why don't you cast your net on the other side of the boat? And Peter's like, I'm an experienced fisherman. Fish can swim under boats, Jesus. But nevertheless, out of respect for you, I'll do it. They throw on the nets. They have such a great catch of fish that it tears their nets. And they call for their partners who are with them today to come, and they try to haul in the ship, haul in the catch, two boats full of fish. Peter realizes that it's the Lord. Something's unusual about this strange man that sells in, you know, fish on the other side. And he falls to his knees, and he says, Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He's like, looking down, you have no idea who I am. He might have wanted to say the same thing just now. Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus lifts his head and says, don't fear, Peter. Or Simon, actually, at that time. That's what his name was. Peter was his new name. Don't fear. You've been a fisher of fish, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And the picture is, this quantity of fish 
is symbolic of the quantity of fish that you're going to catch from my kingdom when you start making disciples for me and you gather people into my name and into my kingdom and change their lives. Peter, you're going to feed my sheep. You're going to feed my lamb. You're going to be a teacher. You're going to be a pillar in the house of God. Stand to your feet. And he restores that whole calling. I love it that the nets didn't break this time. I think that's probably symbolic. Jesus is pretty particular. This time, the nets aren't going to break, Peter. So, what if I've fallen short and failed and sinned? What if things are confusing? What if things for the church are confusing? In a little while, Matt's going to share some details about our finances that look like, oh, we're in trouble. And so what do we do with that? I tell you that we don't live in fear and go, oh, the church isn't what it was, and the attendance is down, and the church in America is down, and pastors leaving the ministry, and there's not enough money. We look to Jesus, and he says, do you love me? And we say, yes, we love you, Jesus. And he says, feed my sheep. Get back to the calling. If you have sinned in some way and you feel like you're disqualified now, don't live in your shame. That's Satan's plan for you. Repent of sin, turn to Jesus, and live in your forgiveness and get back to loving Jesus and following him. Because you're not called to live in shame, you're called to live in freedom. That's why Jesus died for us. And rose again, that we not be controlled by our sinful past, but we be controlled and envisioned and invigorated by our righteous future that he has given to us. That's what it means to follow Jesus. The, the work of Jesus' church is really important. Now, I've heard it said that I've got four minutes on my clock, see if I can roll this in. I've heard this phrase, the church is the hope of the world. And in some sense, I believe that, but I think it needs some modification because in reality, the people that call themselves the church, people that call themselves Christians over the last couple thousand years, sometimes have not at all been the hope of the world. Sometimes in claiming the name of Jesus, people that call themselves the church have been very mean-spirited, have, have done wicked things, so the question is, the church, the hope of the world goes, ah, maybe not. Let me just modify that. When the church is the manifestation of Jesus and his kingdom, the church is the hope of the world. Jesus has left the planet physically, but he hasn't left the planet physically because he's left a body, a much bigger body than when he was here in his own body. He said, everyone who comes to me, I will put my spirit in them and they will now be my body, my hands, my feet, my mouth, my arms to embrace, my hands to hand out food to the hungry, my hands to love, my heart to forgive. When the church is, in fact, the physical manifestation of Jesus and the manifestation of his kingdom, you better believe we're the hope of the world. The world needs the church to be like Jesus, and it is very important that the church move from survival mentality to thriving mentality and flourishing mentality because God has a work for us no matter what it looks like. God has a work for us, he has a call for us, and it hasn't changed. 
Um, a few days ago, I was in Colorado with the leaders of the vineyard movement in the United States. There's roughly 600, 550, 600 churches in America that are vineyard churches, about 3,000 internationally. And once a year, the leaders, and I'm, one of, I'm an area leader, so I, I'm called to pastor pastors in this area for the vineyard movement. We all get together and um, we worship, and we get some you know, inspirational teaching, some instructions, some envisioning, some plans for the details. We just you know, do what you do in a meeting. And um, while I was there, either Tuesday or Wednesday night, I think it was Tuesday, we were worshiping, and I heard something enter my mind. Ever have a thought come into your mind? And you think, I wonder if God's speaking to me? I, and it was a strange one, but I want to share it with you. Um, I heard the word, renew the contract. And I immediately thought, well, if this is God, it would be renew the covenant. Or renew the commitment. But I specifically heard, renew the contract. And I was puzzled, and then I heard, you know... Like when you renew a lease and you re-up the agreement. And then I heard calling you to renew the commitment, and I'm renewing my commitment to you. And it, it took me on a path of looking at my entire life history of commitments to the Lord. And I, I would say more than I'm going to say right now if I had more time, but when I was 14 or 15, sophomore year in high school, I, I was, the teacher called upon us to plan for the future, pick a college, plan a career, do something, make a goal. And I thought, boy, I'd like to work in the church, but I know you can't choose to do that. You have to be called. God, do you want me to go to Bible school and become a pastor? And I didn't get a yes. So I thought, okay, well, that's done. I'm not going to be a pastor. Fine. And I committed right then as if I think I was 14. I said, Lord, I'll go get another career, but I commit to you that I will serve you in your church with everything I have for the rest of my life. That's what I did. And then things changed, and you know, many years later, I became part of a church plant team. We planted this church in another format with a home group. It, soon it was in a home in Encinitas, I remember that, and then it multiplied, and I led another home group in another home, and it multiplied, and eventually we rented the space. And eventually we got a trailer and put all the sound equipment on a trailer that I got a trailer hitch for for my truck and drove it to my garage every week. A huge amount of equipment, hours of work every morning, and I loved it. I was serving the Lord in the church. Eventually that changed. Eventually we ended up in a building. Folks, I'm going to ask you to shift your thinking. Imagine that we are a church planning team that have been called together to come to Oceanside and plant a church. Church planning teams are unique because they realize everyone's on board, we're all in. If anything's going to happen, it's up to us. We're going to spend our time, we're going to go evangelize. We're going to change our community in the name of Jesus because we're the church and we're here to plant a church. And there's usually two, three families go across country, land in a place, they get jobs, meet in a home, hopefully somewhere they can rent a building to start meeting like this. Folks, if we're a church planning team, we have more resources than about any church planning team has ever had in the history of church planning. We've got about 100 families that call us home. We have a multi-million dollar beautiful building that we own. We have an incredible children's facilities. We have an incredible youth center. We have incredible people. We have a worship band that is like incomparable. Those guys were amazing. They love the Lord. They love the Spirit. If we have a mind that set that says we are all in, we're going to plant a church in Oceanside and we're thinking right now, we're not a congregation that's aging. 
We're a congregation that's come to change Oceanside in the name of Jesus with the life of Jesus, to care for the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to heal the sick, to gather together, to love each other, to love God, to grow in Christ. We will thrive and we will flourish. We have everything we need. So when, when Matt shares some of the details, this is not to say, oh, be scared, we're dying. It's to say, well, we need to know what we're going through. But we have so much vision and so much hope and so much provision and everything we need. So I'm going to ask you to make three commitments if you're willing to, and they are this. One, I'm asking you to passionately love Jesus. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Abide in my love. I'm asking you to, one, passionately love Jesus and grow together. Come together in groups, small groups, study the Word of God together, worship together, pray for each other, encourage each other, build each other up, don't be isolated, grow together, love Jesus and grow together. Number two, I'm going to ask you this. I want to ask you to become inviters. Invite people to follow Jesus with you at Grace Vineyard. Can I ask you to do that? You've seen those, those invitation cards. I put a graphic for you. They're out in the front. I love this church. I love you. I love what we're about. I think this is an amazing group of people. I know all churches are amazing, but this is my church. You know, the church across the street, Calvary Chapel Living Hope, awesome church. I love their pastor. But this is our church, right? Coast City, awesome church. Pastor Doug, let's pray for him. He's amazing. They're killing it over there. But this is our church. We're called here. So I'm asking you, one, love passionately Jesus. Number two, become an inviter to people. Have a holy hello moments. Invite them to follow Jesus with you at Grace Vineyard. Come with me. Because it's time to build community again. And number three, I'm asking you to give money. Um, you know, Susan talked about tithing. I know tithing can be a tight issue for some people. Some people don't actually believe that it's for today. I personally do. I sent you an email recently laying out why I believe it. But I understand that some don't. That's okay. But be a giver, because no one believes that we shouldn't be givers. And if you're part of this family, I'm asking you to have an all-in mindset. I'm here, like I said when I was 15, Lord Jesus, I commit to serve you in your church for the rest of my life with all I got. Listen, that's my commitment I've made recently again. I've re-upped my commitment. If it's the case that I have to go get a second job, which I'm looking at right now, I will do that, and as much energy as I have, I will serve the church of Jesus Christ with all I have. I'm asking you to do the same thing. Serve Jesus by loving him. Serve Jesus by inviting. Serve Jesus in his church by giving. Listen, if you're someone who comes here and this is your home and you're one of the people that just like gives this much zero, please think maybe, maybe I'm not ready to tithe, but we all need each other. Give something. You know, and if you've, you've gotten yourself up to you can give $10 a month, and you still go to Starbucks? Maybe think that I think my church is important enough that I'll give more than $10 a month to this thing because it costs more like 30000 a month to run the place. So I'll give. Passionately love Jesus. Invite. 
and give with a mindset that God has a work for us and it's good. And that's all I have time to say today. But the future looks bright from my perspective. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.